everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I'm your host, Ryan Dunlevy, joined by my co-host, Rob Dunham. And if you are confused as to what the shirt is, it says, this is my hockey shirt. Okay. Because when I decided to start getting back into hockey last year, I did not have a jersey as I do now. So I needed to go find a shirt. And so the most efficient way was to buy a t-shirt at Ross with a circular logo, color over the circular logo with black marker, making it a hockey puck. And then write, this is a, my hockey shirt. On the back, it says, I root for the teams of my friends, bribes accepted. So, <laughs> I didn't get in on that action. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, you're a little, too, a little too slow. And uh, <clears throat> now I root for the team that you hate. So, yeah. Uh, today was the start of training camp, though. So yeah. Hockey is uh, coming back. However, can't wait. Disappointment looming. It's going to oh, be great. Don't even get me started on disappointment, man. <laughs> it's coming. We already know it's coming. However, this is not a hockey podcast. This is a movie podcast, and we've got an excellent show for you. We'll, of course, do our box office rundown, let you know what last week looked like, what you can expect coming up this weekend. We'll talk <laughs> talk about some returns to theater of a movie and a beloved character. And we'll do another round of movie philosophizing, which we will look forward to. And, of course, our watch list. All right. Let's get started with the box office. And, Rob, better week for the box office this week. The numbers are much better. Uh, overall, we saw some pretty bleak numbers. Nobody went to the movie theater except Rob last weekend. Uh, but this weekend, the numbers are up. Number one, Woman King. Woman King uh, took number one spot at 19.1 million. Barbarian at 6.5 million. And uh, so that continues to be strong. 3.1 million in uh, week one for Pearl. And 3 million for week one. See how they run. Bullet Train in there in week seven, 2.6 million. That one's closing in on 100 million domestically. Just off the uh, top five, uh, Top Gun Maverick still hanging out there with 2.2 million. Would you make a box office this weekend? Yeah, Top Gun Maverick just will not will not die. Yeah. Going to be in the, the top 10 of the box office until the heat death of the universe. <laughs> yeah, they're Pretty. not going to need to re-release it for Oscars time because it's yeah. still going to be in theaters. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you think they have to, they'll have to pull it at some point to make the people clamor for it uh, when they re-release it. Um, uh, woman King, the Woman King, I guess, did a little bit um, better than I may have expected. I'm not sure what the projections or hopes were for that when it came out. So, um, Barbarian is doing well still. Um, yeah. I thought it was a pretty decently made movie, so I'm not super surprised by that. I heard it's uh, getting a bunch more theaters this coming weekend. Too. Yeah. Usually if if a horror movie is done well, it will find an audience. Yeah. We've seen that um, many, many times. Yeah. Um, I'm not surprised Woman King is first. Uh, it was the only movie on this list that got any level of promotion for the last few weeks. Um, so it was the most visible in terms of its... Uh, 
being made known to audiences and theater <laughs> audiences. Um, the rest of the movies for not much of a budget. I thought they all did pretty well. The top five is pretty solid. Um, but I think the main takeaway is just that there people were in the theaters this weekend as opposed to last weekend. Yeah, I think the um, the advertising I saw for Barbarian was literally just the poster in the theater. Hmm. Like, I don't think I saw anything else for it before I, I thought. Other than like our own personal research on movies coming out this fall, I didn't see anything from any of these other movies. Yeah. They've come out in the last couple of weeks, which is really kind of crazy when you think about it. Um, I don't know what everyone's doing, but hey, you know, they're uh, they're doing what they're doing. Uh, anything else in this past week? Uh, not really. Not a whole lot going on right now. Yeah. Yep, it is true. Um, so that brings us to what we got coming out this weekend. There's two main releases this weekend. Uh, number one is Don't Worry, Darling. And this stars Florence Pugh, Harry Styles, Chris Pine, Olivia Wilde. And this is a 1950s housewife living with her husband in a utopian experimental community begins to worry that his glamorous company may be hiding disturbing secrets. Yeah, and I said uh, with this one in our fall movie preview that mm-hmm. I think this is the one I'm most looking forward to hmm. um, for the fall movie season. So definitely excited about this one coming out. All right. And so you have the Railway Children or the Railway Children Return, whichever you feel like calling it. There's an, that's the original title. It's just being called Railway Children now. Uh, and this stars uh, John Bradley, Jenny Adgutter, uh, Sheridan Smith, Tom Courtney. Uh, and this follows a group of children who are evacuated to a Yorkshire village during the Second World War, where they encounter a young soldier who, like them, is far from home. Hmm. So you have the Railway Children. There was a 1970 movie called the railway children uh which i think is uh broadly along the same lines if i'm not mistaken but um so that's uh that's the main thing coming out so talk to us a little bit about why you're excited about don't worry darling so i do uh i think my favorite genre of movie is probably like suspense thriller suspense like psychological suspense thriller and that's what this movie looks like um like there's something going on but there's something very wrong happening underneath the surface mm-hmm. of everything you have to try and figure out what that is and it seems like that whole movie this whole movie is based on that conceit so it's just a style of movie making that i really like okay. quite a bit and i also am excited about this one because the actors in it i think are really quality actors who i think can pull it off um the one question mark i guess is harry styles he hasn't done a whole lot um as an actor so far yeah Um, he was uh he he did play a a pretty decent small role in dunkirk um but beyond that he hasn't had too much to do so the question is still out there if he can carry a lead type role in a movie so We'll see how that goes. Yeah, and that movie is directed by Olivia Wilde as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I am slightly there. There's almost a there's two conflicting cliches about the 1950s. This like idyllic time period cliche and this everything was actually really terrible in the 50s cliche. And there's kind of like warring cliches about this. So I'm concerned about the setting of this movie being the 1950s, that it's going to fall into one of the cliches on that front. Um, so we'll see. Um, but yeah, I think it's the it's the most obvious choice of the two coming out. I don't really have an interest in the railway children personally. Um, but hey, could be good. Who knows? I wonder if the railway children will feature an anthropomorphic theological lion. Oh, wait, that might be a different movie about kids being evacuated from London during World War II. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's the box office this weekend. Uh, plenty of interesting movies to see. Um, lots of different genres, lots of different things out there, so... Uh, if you do head to a theater, you have plenty of you have plenty of choices, and there's probably something in there you're going to like. All right, so let's uh, let's move on to two uh, stories that also feature box office. Uh, number one is the return of Avatar. Uh, Avatar, the original uh, movie from 2009, is coming back into theaters, um, and it is of course doing that as a uh, lead up to the next feature film, which comes out in December. And so this one is coming out September 23rd. So uh, in IMAX, if you can find it uh, near you, uh, Avatar is back out. Um, coincidentally, or not coincidentally, actually, it has disappeared from Disney Plus. As ah. a result, they've taken it out of Disney Plus so that uh, to try and force you to go see it in theaters. Um, try and make their money back however they're going to do it. You know, it's not like they never made any money. Um, so what, what do you make of the re-release of Avatar, and are you interested? Well, it'll absolutely make some amount of millions of dollars. So just because people love Avatar. Yeah. And I'm sure people... I, I'm sure there are a decent amount of people who didn't see it in IMAX mm -hmm. when it came out that will want to go see it in IMAX. Um... I don't know if I'm super crazy clamoring to go see it mm -hmm. in the theater. Um, but then again, I might, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, th I think there are people who will be very excited about it. I'm not one of those people, Yeah. but I think there will be enough people who are excited about it to make it a decent amount of money. I I've been on the record for a while of saying that this was a rather um, overrated movie and uh, its impact was largely nominal and has just disappeared into the film landscape. Um, so the idea that it's coming back, um, I, I'm fairly ambivalent to the next two Avatar movies coming out, so I'm equally as ambivalent about the idea of going to see it in theaters. And since uh, I haven't been to the theaters in a little bit and there's a bunch of stuff that I could be interested in checking out, the likelihood is I won't be at Avatar. But, hey, if you... Uh, if you never got to see it in IMAX, if you're interested or if you just forget what this movie was all about, because frankly, most people probably did, then it's your opportunity. Uh, and now there's a second story out there, which I will let Rob take the lead on because Rob is very, very excited about this story. 
and uh, it involves uh, a good old Keanu Reeves. So there is major movement in there uh, being a sequel to the movie Constantine, which starred Keanu Reeves um, as John Constantine, the Marvel. I don't know if you want to call him a hero or an anti-hero um, who ends up vanquishing demons to the underworld and fighting them as they try to break into the real world and also hangs out and fights with Satan and a whole bunch of stuff in the original one. If you have not seen Constantine, I would highly recommend watching it. I think it's, it's very, it's, it's quite an interesting thing because I think that it's one of the best like graphic novel, comic book movies that have been done. Um, but it kind of came before the wave of the movies. And so it, it wasn't really quite riding that popularity um, of some of the later comic books slash graphic novel movies that came out. Yeah. And so I think it, it got overlooked a little bit or not recognized. Um, I think that it is a very well done movie. I just think it's a quality movie and that a lot of, movies of that genre don't match up to the standard that it set. Um, but I also think a lot of people haven't seen it because it just was not a huge area of filmmaking or audience engagement um, the time it came out. And I will, I will also say that I think um, Peter Stormare's uh, portrayal of Lucifer might be the best portrayal of the devil hmm. in any movie ever. Better than Al Pacino in The Devil's Advocate. <laughs> <laughs> Even better than Will Smith in uh, Winter's Tale or whatever that movie was called. Mm. Yes, Will Smith played the devil in the movie. Look it up. Um, but yeah, his he, his uh, character, they have him dressed in white. He's very much playing the angel of light version of Lucifer that's trying to deceive and get his way and just dripping in um, sardonic... Uh, conversation his character is fantastic and um the way they filmed it is also fantastic so i've i've long wanted a sequel to this movie so i think that um you're in for a treat if you get a chance to see this when it eventually comes out and i guess the only question mark is keanu reeves can he pull off that character with the kind of um vigor and action that they did in the original one yeah with uh with his portrayal of john wick i think um i think keanu has shown that he still got what it takes um so i'm confident that he will do well on this i'll be honest i've seen constantine i saw it shortly after it came out and i that's the last time i've seen it i've mm. years and years and years so uh, I remember, I remember mostly the look and the feel of the movie. Um, that was mostly what my impressions were of it. Um, it does have a much darker subject matter than most of your other comic book, mm -hmm. uh, graphic novel type things would. Uh, so that does slightly restrict its audience um, just by the nature of it. But there is a market for it, obviously, and especially now when there's a when the genre is much more developed. Uh, so I think this would be a huge hit if it came out. 
I heard when uh, reached for comment, Keanu Reeves said that people were asking if Constantine was back, and he said, yeah, he's thinking Constantine is back. Keanu's the best. <laughs> the best. He's awesome. He's great. We do not deserve Keanu Reeves. Uh, good stuff. Um, yeah, so that's just a couple of uh, additions that you can be uh, looking forward to coming out. Uh, so now we'll move on to our discussion. And uh, tonight we're going to do another round of movie philosophizing. This is where we take a, a specific scene or a movie in general, and we analyze the philosophical underpinnings of it. What is, what is the underlying philosophy? What does it have to say? And uh, we talk about that a little bit. So each one of us is going to do a specific movie. Rob, would you like to go first? So mine's a little bit different in that it's not, I would say it's not super deep philosophically, but I think it is a question that I wonder about other people having hmm. wondered it about myself and thought through it myself. And the the main question, and I will use a, a couple examples, um, is when have you seen yourself in a movie? Hmm. This is interesting. Uh, when, when have you been watching a movie seen in a character how they act, how they speak, the decisions that they make, and thought, that's me. Mm. Because I I feel like for everyone, there has to be some instance where that's happened to yeah. them. So I will say that um, this was brought on by, uh, I watched a movie with my best friend uh, this last week that I had never seen. That is kind of a classic movie I've been told many times I should watch. Um, it won an Oscar for a very famous actor mm. who we have a lot of respect for. We've talked about on the podcast many times before that actor being named one Thomas Hanks. Ah, yes, yes. And the movie is Philadelphia from 1993 with Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington. Okay. Which I had not seen before this weekend. Mm. Um, now, when I say that I saw myself in Tom Hanks character, the main scene that this happened with, there's a scene where they're going over questions that Tom Hanks uh, character is going to be asked in the courtroom and he starts playing some music in the background and he asks uh, the lawyer played by Denzel Washington um, whose character's name is Joe and Tom Hanks's character's name is Andrew. Um, he asks him if he likes opera music and you could see in Joe's face in that moment that he's like, uh, not really. <laughs> but then as the music goes on, Andrew starts explaining what's happening in the music. Hmm. And he says, the mother died saving her. Look, the place that cradled me is burning. Do you hear the heartache in her voice? Can you feel it, Joe? Now in come the strings and it changes everything. The music, it fills with a hope and it'll change again. Listen, listen. I bring sorrow to those who love me. Oh, that single cello. It was during this sorrow that love came to me, a voice filled with harmony that said, live still, I am life. Heaven is in your eyes. Is everything around you just the blood and the mud? I am divine. I'm oblivion. I am the God that comes down from the heavens to the earth and makes of the earth a heaven. I am love. I am love. I am love. And as I was watching that scene, I thought, He's describing music the way I describe music. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
that it's not just, oh, listen to this cool part here. Like it's listen to what the music is saying like by itself, just the music, listen to what. And I think that's one of the reasons why I like so many different genres of music. And in fact, recently I was um, made fun of for after having watched another movie this week that I watched for the very first time, Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, finally. All right. Um, while watching it, I said that the scene while they were um, doing the Night at the Opera, mm. um, recording, that that had jumped into my top five opera scenes of all time in all time in movies. And then I was questioned as to why exactly would I have five favorite opera scenes in movies? <laughs> <laughs> There's actually a significant amount of yeah. opera in yeah. movies because it's very cinematic. Yeah. And it's just because I love music and I love the story that it tells so that specific scene is one where i've seen myself mm-hmm. and if if i may like broaden the scope just a little bit Got it. the movie that i've seen myself most in is high fidelity with john cusack oh yes i've seen this. where the owner of the record store which i collect records is literally named rob <laughs> and the movie <laughs> is about him recounting the stories of his terrible breakups Mm. But I have had a few of, <laughs> and there's so much in Rob's character that my wife has told me, mm-hmm. like you're him, <laughs> yeah. just in how he talks about music, how he loves music, how he makes mixtapes for things, how he basically sets his life to the soundtrack of music. And there are so many quotes in that movie that I love and my favorite is which came first, the music or the misery. Mm. Um, did I listen to pop music because I felt bad or did I feel bad because I listened to pop music? Mm. Um, and I just, I, I love that whole movie and just the idea that he has kind of based his life around music. So in a lot of ways, like I tell people often music is who I am. Um, and if you if you know me at all and, and Ryan would be one of those people, you would understand like what that means. Yep. It, it's not just like a simple like, oh, I like music. Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's a lot deeper. Yeah, for sure. That. So so having said all that and talked for a billion years, um I guess my question is where have you seen yourself? I was that you've watched. I was thinking about that, and I could probably come up with better answers if I had more, a little bit more time to think mm-hmm. about. Off the top of my head, um, kind of two movies uh, came to immediately to mind. There was a um, uh, a nineteen nineties like chick flick called Boys and Girls. I think it was like Freddie Prince Jr. and like Claire Forlani, and it's the one where like he just gets put in the friend zone super hard. <laughs> and and like it just goes back and forth on this is you know um and and it, it's just an like that relationship just lined up with something that was happening in my life like mm. at that exact moment that i saw that movie for the first time and it was just like oh my goodness this is it <laughs> like this <laughs> is exactly what's going on and it's one of those like cathartic moments or you're just like, yeah, okay, I get it now. Now the movie in that the music in that movie is terrible. It's like weirdo <laughs> 90s like elevator jazz pop. It's it's really terrible. 
Um, but for whatever reason, it's just lined up with that. And the other one I would say is um, uh, Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Mm. Um, having those moments where you where you realize that, you know what, my life is not what I would always want it to be. Like, have I just been sitting back and letting things happen instead of, you know, going out and trying to create for myself? Like, there's a lot there's a lot to that movie. And um, and that feeling and that call for adventure, I think, is something mm-hmm. that that I mean, and I've, this has happened to me multiple times when I've seen this movie and I, I know this movie by heart by this point. So those are the two things that I could think mm. um, that I felt off the top of my head that I resonated with the most. Yeah, that's a great movie. If you have not if you haven't seen that, it's definitely film for fans endorse. Absolutely. Ready. Secret Life of Walter Mitty, definitely worth the watch. Yeah, so, so good. And so well made, too. Yeah. Really well made. Yeah, I was, I was very um, pleasantly surprised by that movie when yeah. I saw it the first time. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, before we go on to mine, I just have a question. Um, give me some more of your favorite operatic appearances <laughs> in movies. I need to hear at least one or two more of these. Yeah, so... Uh, this this, this kind of just thought came about because I, I'd seen that scene in Philadelphia and then I was thinking uh, further and obviously the Bohemian Rhapsody one. Mm-hmm. Um, a few others, uh, a Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Yeah, that's one that there, immediately came to mind. There's a 10-minute scene that is literally set to uh, the Nessun Dorma aria um, from the opera Torandot. And that is my favorite opera song of all time, period. Mm-hmm. And so to see that with that happening in the like this this espionage kind of sniper scene going on in the background the whole time and have it like in real time with the music was pretty cool. Um, the other one that um, is will be obvious to you as well is the Moondock Saints. Hmm. Um, there was a firefight. Oh man, yeah. Yeah. Oh man, it's just so oh, yeah. good. The music uh, in the background and bullets flying around and Willem mm-hmm. Dafoe there but not there. And yeah. um that is just absolutely fantastic. And then uh also the Shawshank Redemption. Ah uh, has uh the playing of an opera record featured mm-hmm. prominently throughout yeah. uh the movie in a couple scenes. So those are those are the ones that were on my list. I would add two things. One, it's not a very long scene. The scene in Batman Begins um, that takes place in an opera just before the death of Bruce's mm. parents, um, where they really lay on the bat motifs. And they, the opera is used very, very effectively um, because it has that cinematic element to it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and this one's not this one's not from, from movies at all. But uh, opera was always used <clears throat> for the character Lionel Luther in the CW show um smallville hmm. they that character and it, it worked out because he was such a he was such a machiavellian evil character that there's all these like really fantastic scenes where it's just showing lionel luther doing something with opera in the background it was yeah hmm. it was it was it was definitely a thing throughout the series they did well excellent okay so for my movie I, i'm picking um, a specific scene from Jurassic World Dominion. And there's two elements of a speech. Um, 
I want to say it's maybe a half hour in to the movie or something where um, Malcolm, the character of Malcolm is speaking at the Biosyn um, to the Biosyn employees or whatnot. And he gives this monologue and um, Malcolm has throughout the series, especially in the first one, has always been this kind of like weird, dark conscience of of the movies he he's the he's he's like the the prophet as it were of of the movies but he says two specific things here and i think they are slightly contradictory um but also indicative of why i like the original jurassic park so much and why i didn't love the Jurassic world series nearly as much. Um, So the first line he says close to the beginning of his speech. um, If you haven't seen the Jurassic world dominion or the Jurassic world movies, basically (laughs) dinosaurs get loose and uh, they're out out in the real world. Um, And he makes the statement that no one creature has any more right to live than another. And this is one of those where this is a theme that's been running through the Jurassic World movies. It showed up, and I complained about it uh, at the uh, in Jurassic World uh, Fallen Kingdom, where basically the choice in that movie was let the dinosaurs in the basement die or release them out into the wild, into the public. And they chose to release them out into the public resulting in who knows how many deaths. And so I think there's just, there's this idea that human beings and animals are of the same intrinsic value runs through these movies. And I have an issue with that because they are not. Human beings are of more worth than animals. I know that might be controversial, but it's true. We are. And so when it comes to a choice on some of these lines, you have to favor humans. And there is a, there is an anti-human element uh, to some of this, which I think is kind of an undercurrent running through uh, the Jurassic world movies at times. And it makes the, it makes the movies muddled a little bit. Um, And I think there is, there is a strain of anti-humanism uh, that runs through some of the more radical elements of like uh, um, like the environmentalists or whatever. Um, and and I, I read this, I, I don't know how long ago I read this, but read that uh, radical environmentalists make the best bad guys. And uh, it rattled off all the movies that off the top of their heads it was like, that's who it was. I mean, of course, um, the the dude from Aquaman was there, but the number one was, of course, Thanos. Thanos, to save the universe, I have to kill half the living beings in the universe. And so there, there's a real anti-human strain that runs through some of these. And it creates, it's used when it's used effectively, which it often can be, you end up with a character like Thanos, who is an incredible bad guy, um, but who's relatable. And it's kind of like a Malthusian type of um, philosophy. You know, um, and there's a real anti-human strain through that. And so this this line from from Malcolm's speech basically is saying, 
you know, the dinosaurs are out there, uh, but they, you know, who, who cares how many they kill, you know, we, there's, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. Uh, on, so on one hand, um, then he follows with the later, um, the later part of his speech where he basically goes into a similar rant to what he talked about in Jurassic Park, where he's basically talking about the hubris of the scientists. And his whole point is the law of unintended consequences. When you mess with something, there is unintended consequences that result. As soon as you think you can control something, as, as soon as you think that you are smart enough to understand a vast system and that you can make changes to it, inevitably something behaves in a way that you are not um, prepared for in a way that you were not anticipating. And as a result of that, so a substantial amount of unintended consequences come as a result. And one of the things that, that this is, this is uh, it's a warning about, in, about uh, hubris and especially among intellectuals, because this is kind of like Malcolm's character is always kind of the outsider intellectual. And he's always kind of warning about the dangers and the hubris of the scientists throughout these series. <laughs> and, and I think one, the one thing that you got to be aware of is that whenever, whenever you think you can control something, you can't, <laughs> especially at, especially at a high level, you just can't, you can't control something. So they're constantly messing around with the ecosystem. They're messing around with DNA. They're messing around with, gene splicing and all those type of things and the whole process is we know how we can control this we know how it's going to operate and that level of hubris always leads to a ridiculous amount of consequences the law of un unintended consequences is real the likelihood and this is part of it almost every single change you can make to a system is going to be bad. The likelihood that you are the one who stumbled upon the right change is going to make it work is highly unlikely. So the best you can hope for is not to screw it up. Mm. And, and the idea that you understand something completely in order to be able to know what changes need to be made to it, something that has survived and has existed for a long period of time, um, is really, really, really unlikely. Um, and that's and that's one of the learning curves. And this is one of the things that made Jurassic Park, um, the, the moral clarity of Jurassic Park so much is because this is precisely what happens. This is what Malcolm warns. And then you see the consequences of it as a result. And there's a great scene in the original Jurassic Park um, where um, the one character is sitting there talking with the... Um, the inventor and and he basically is like this time we were going to make it work this time it was control and she responds to him this is still the flea circus you know and this is still an illusion and i think that's something we have to so often be aware of is that our tweaks to the system are much more likely to do damage than they are to create actual good consequences but we don't seem to see that yeah, I think that um, these two ideas kind of 
I, I understand your your criticism of the idea of there being parity between mm-hmm. humanity and um, nature, if yeah. you want to say it, put it that way. Um, but I, in these movies, and I was also thinking about um, the throughout all of them, but most explicitly through the most um, recent iteration of the Godzilla movies that uh, there have, there's been this undercurrent of basically the reason why we're saying that the animals have the right to be um, alive and surviving as much as humanity is because we have brought them into existence. We have done something in either trying to create or destroy them that has turned them into something beyond what they ever should have been. And so therefore the fact that they are surviving is a punishment uh, upon us. I I think that's something that um, uh, Malcolm's character is very strident on, very vocal about. Um, and I think that you you would also saw, saw that in Godzilla with um, Ken Watanabe's character. I can't remember his name now. The scientist yeah. uh, was basically said the same thing. Like we we uh, put nuclear bombs into the ocean here to try and just test things. We ended up creating this monster, this Godzilla, and then all these other monsters. Mm-hmm. And so now it's our responsibility to deal with the consequences mm-hmm. of that. And I think I. I definitely agree with you on the idea that at its base, the idea of humanity having parity with uh, nature is not uh, a worldview we should endorse. But I also think there's that, that, um, that side area, if you want to call it Mm -hmm. of the, their, their uh, momentum and preservation being almost like a punishment as a result of, humanity going too far yeah yeah and there certainly is there is certainly a punishment element and it's partly that um malcolm's speech for me is colored by what they did at the end of fallen kingdom so it doesn't exist entirely in a vacuum um whereas malcolm's motivation for saying it might be slightly different than the motivation than the general underpinning that's coming in through the movies, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think what that does is, um, I think it muddles it muddles, for lack of a better term, it muddles the morality of the Jurassic World movies, um, because there is there is a sense of moral clarity to the original Jurassic Park. Uh, in particular, as to what is good and what is bad. Now, there's nuance to it, obviously. Um, the characters who created this are both good and bad, and they have good elements and bad elements. But there is a sense of moral clarity to the movie, and I think the later ones lack that to some extent. Yeah. But I have more to say, slightly more to say about the the movie and how it fits in, in our in our watch list. Um but yeah, so that's the, that's the two big thing that that philosophical idea of of uh, humans uh, basically being just another animal and the law of unintended consequences. 
All right, let's move on to our watch list. Rob, what'd you watch this week? So I did already say that I had watched Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes. Finally watched for the first time after being told many, many, many <laughs> times that I should watch it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I, I have to agree that it's one of the better uh, music biopics I have seen. Um, I do think that uh, Rami Malek did a fantastic job as uh freddie as uh freddie prince (laughs) (laughs) oh my did a fantastic job as freddie mercury um i did not know all of the backstory about freddie mercury is like his upbringing and Mm. all that Mm -hmm. stuff so that was neat to see that and how he kind of just was like uh uh a good not not victim of circumstance but like he was able to take advantage of the circumstances and uh become a part of a band and then it just kind of was meteoric meteoric from there for them and um to see how far he sunk then and to have to come back and get things together um that performance at live aid is just uh classic and i've been told that i need to watch the side-by-side video of uh the movie and the performance itself because apparently they're very um close to each other as far as how they recorded it so i'm looking forward to doing that um i also watched uh philadelphia as i said um with tom hanks and denzel washington and i will say that uh my opinion tom hanks oscar win for that performance is well deserved um, I think he did just a fantastic job as a character who is fired because he can, uh, basically fired because he contracted the AIDS virus by the law firm law firm he works for and um, has to go to court to try and prove that. Um, I also watched uh, Ambulance. Ah, yes. Came out last year, Michael Bay. Mm-hmm. And I I have no idea what to make of the fact that Michael Bay reference not one but two of his own movies in his movie <laughs> i was gonna say on the level of how how michael bay is this movie that's about how michael bay it is and and if you're saying he referenced two of his own movies then we are at we're at very peak michael yeah bay. yeah this one character uh quotes the rock and then and then says you know from that movie the rock and the other character says yeah the rock he's a great actor um <laughs> And uh, but he used to be a wrestler. That's that's a direct quote from the movie. Um, and then as they're getting out of the car, he says, "Let's bad boys this one." <laughs> and, and then it actually cut to the side, like looking up angle of the one guy getting out of the police car. Oh man! Just, like from Bad Boys. Wow. Uh, and there's uh, certainly some explosions in the movie. Not not crazy Michael Bay explosions, but there are some explosions. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal actually does a really good job. In the movie, I think I think that it was above average as far as movies go. Um, I would say definitely above average as far as Michael Bay movies go. Okay. But I also think that a lot of people are probably Michael Bayed out. Yeah. And just had no desire at all to even give this movie a chance. Um, but I it was enjoyable. It was it reminded me of it reminded me of a Michael Bay movie, like a nineties movie where you just don't have to really think too much and you just follow the story and 
Accept everything that happens because why wouldn't it happen that way? <laughs> so those are three things that I watched this week. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, like I said, I, I watched uh, Jurassic World Dominion. And so I wanted to take a, just a moment like um, to talk. We talked about the philosophy behind it. Uh, but as for the movie itself, I mean, it did include all of the characters, all of the characters. Um, there were some good aspects to that, some not good aspects to it. It's difficult to manage that large of a cast. And um, Marvel movies are famous for how good they handle that. Um, this one did okay. It did okay on handling it. I think there was probably just too much going on. There was too much going on. Uh, but what I think the conclusion I came to with Jurassic World Dominion is um, I hope this is the end for the Jurassic movies. Um, I think what you ended up with, and there's some spoilery stuff in here, but as this series has drug on, in particular, you saw this in the Jurassic World movies, is it was no longer enough to see dinosaurs on screen. They had to just continue like, oh, no, this is a bigger dinosaur. This is a crazier dinosaur. And to the point where uh, basically almost everything in Dominion is like a crazy, weird hybrid. So it's like, it's not like... Dinosaurs are no longer enough. And that's part of the attrition that comes from like, okay, we thrilled the audiences with dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. 30 years later, you know, nobody's impressed. And, and so it just like, it got further and further away from like the original premise and to the point where like everything is like a weird hybrid, like bug dinosaur created, like chicken dinosaur all this all this type of stuff so yeah i will say i'm glad they didn't go completely off the rails uh, because one of the original adaptations of this series had an ending with dinosaur human hybrids with rocket packs and no i'm not making that up you can look it up yeah <laughs> i think the one positive I would say is I think they did a good job at least trying to think through if dinosaurs were released into the everyday public, how would the public react to that? And like, what would be some of the consequences? I think they did a half decent job of trying to portray what that, some of that looked like. Um, so I'll give it that. So, okay. Movie. Um, not spectacular, but okay. I was a little disappointed. Um, spoiler alert that the, scene from the trailer with the dinosaur in the ocean where it like attacked the crab boat or lobster boat or whatever mm. was like the very first scene of the movie because mm. that was like a really cool scene so yeah. I was expecting it to be like somewhere like in the middle of the movie or the end like some climactic type scene but it was literally the first thing that happens yeah yeah so we'll uh We'll see, but hopefully they'll give it a pause. I think it needs it needs a break at this point. I think we've we've seen enough dinosaurs on screen, and it's like at some point, like you can't you can't keep making the same mistake six different times. Like, 
So if you've gone from Jurassic Park to Jurassic World, is Jurassic Universe next? Yeah. Dinosaurs in space. Dinosaurs in space. I think we're approaching Sharknado territory there. Yeah. (laughs) Who knows? Uh, All right. You got anything else, Rob? I do not. All right. Then that is the show. Thank you for checking out Film for Fans. Make sure you visit filmforfans.com for all of our awesome written content and recommendations. And uh, tell your friends about the podcast and YouTube channel. And, of course, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Until next time, enjoy the movies.